Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you, if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White. Or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Matt Scher. Matt is the County Commissioner at Eagle County Government. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks very much, Jono. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. Tell us a bit about Eagle County and what you do as County Commissioner. Uh, well, county is well, county isn't here like counties in Australia, as far as I remember. Um, in uh, Colorado, we have sixty-four counties. Um, Eagle County is about a mid middling size of about fifty-five thousand people, and uh, our real economic driver here is uh, we're in the Rocky Mountains, so uh, Vail Resort is uh, our primary economic driver. Uh, in the town of Vail, um, and uh, that town goes from about, uh, I think, about 6,000 people in uh, the off-season to about 80,000 in their peak resort <laughs> season, wow. and uh, I live in Minturn, just about eight miles away. That's incredible. <laughs> what a uh, what a population increase when, when yeah. uh, you have everyone arrive for the ski season. Um, yeah, a lot of hotels. Yeah. So let's uh, let's jump into your story. I want to start with your childhood and growing up. What were some of the moments from that season of your life, Matt, that really shaped you into the person and the leader you are today? Um, you know, uh, all of it, of course, and most of it, I don't realize how it shaped my life. But there are those moments that I, that I remember specifically looking back and or just that, uh, you know, you tend to remember moments in your life where you're just uh, gobsmacked by things and um, I remember uh, one moment um, when it was something my mom did. My parents had been divorced. They got divorced when I was about nine. and uh, uh, But then I was, I think, a freshman in college. My mom did something. I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, what's going on? But it was a moment, you know, uh, I think we all grow up thinking of our parents as like these um, uh, just another level human being. And some of us, I don't know if we ever get past that sort of understanding of our parents, but this was kind of a moment for me where I'm like, oh, my parents are just human. And they screw up. They don't really know what the hell they're doing. They're guessing just like the rest of us are. And so that w was an epiphany kind of in both ways. The first wave hit me and it's like, oh, okay. So that means I'm on my own. Like it's, it's all up to me. And the, the first thought I had was, whew, it's all me. Like I'm free. And then the second kind of crashing after that was, oh, it's all me. <laughs> so it was the kind of the liberation thought. And then the uh, like, oh, crap, it's, it's all my job now. And it was yeah. uh, just a sense that I think evolved as well. It wasn't an entire epiphany that evolved from there, understanding that, um, you know, once you hit that epiphany, it really is. And it really was before then, too. You just, you know, you don't realize it before then that it is all you, even if somebody is telling you what to do. Even if somebody's making rules for you, uh, putting constraints on you or whatnot, you are still making decisions based upon that reality. 
and that never changes whether it's your parents or government or society somebody's always doing something and you are just making decisions um but no matter what somebody else has given it's all you all you can do is make decisions based on what somebody throws at you yeah is that how old were you when when you had that that was uh, i was about 18 18 yeah yeah just so, thrust into it yeah it reminds me of that first moment when you're driving in a in, after being a learner and always having someone there and then um yeah like the the upside like you said there's there's also the exciting um, I, this is up to me i've actually got to you know make sure i uh I, I stay safe here. But I remember that feeling of driving for the first time without anyone else in the car and just thinking like, this yeah. is amazing. It's a bit, it's a bit like that, but across your, your whole life. Oh, you know what you just reminded me of too, something that happened when I was much younger that this is now the perfect analogy for this. I, my first bicycle was like one of those banana seat things um, that you could fit two people on if you really you wanted to, it's two small people, <laughs> but it was a long banana seat and uh, had an older kid, a family friend, who was teaching me. So I took off the training wheels, and she was sitting on the back. And she said, okay, you go ahead, and I've got my legs here. You just pedal, so you won't fall over. And so I was pedaling, and, and I'm like, I'm doing it, Kara. And I'm like, Kara? And I realized pretty much at the very beginning, she just stood up, and I had just pedaled on. So it was like that, that same moment of realizing, like, woo, I'm doing it by myself. I'm like, oh, my God, it's on my own. <laughs> <laughs> probably fell over at that point yes. <laughs> oh, that's a great analogy for for uh life and leadership as well uh i love it so um thank you for sharing that as you reflect either after that point or maybe before earlier in your life can you think of one of the first leadership opportunities you had owned a project you had a bunch of people that that you were sort of leading in some way or you were uh for for an idea or something do you remember your one of your first leadership opportunities um you know i don't have like memories of kind of those epiphanies as well which i think is probably more for the better like, like that same thing as soon as you realize like oh my god i'm leading then uh your insecurities can can latch hold of you and start thinking about how you might screw this up um and so i I'm guessing those times were not realizing that I really was leading. And, and I think it also speaks to that idea of leadership that I'm sure you've had the conversation with lots of people is, you know, leadership is not like being at the, the front of the charge with your sword drawn or, you know, at the, the front of the boardroom, you know, leadership is an everyday thing. And it is the small little decisions and, and just uh, little pieces of, of courage that, that most of us have every day and overcoming little pieces of insecurity. That really is what amounts to leadership in a life. Mm. And so I think as, as you go through life and you have lots of those that you may not really notice that you're that's going. Um, so I, I don't know that I recall anything specifically where I kind of realized like, oh, I'm a leader. <laughs> um, certainly there are those times where like, you know, you're, you're doing like a public speech and you have to have kind of earned a position or, or something to, to do that. And that's terrifying for everybody when you first start doing public speaking, I think. Um, so I do, I do remember being, uh, was the vice president in my high school of the distributed distributive education clubs of America. 
which is essentially kind of a, a commerce-based um, business club. And uh, I remember having to, to do speeches mm. for that and uh, being both afraid and then realizing once I had done it that I was actually pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. Which was a confidence builder. Yeah. yeah, that's such an interesting combination when you really wow i'm actually really uh, i'm actually really good at this um so yeah, i don't know if then i just really good but i'm like oh, i'm better than everybody else was <laughs> <laughs> Not relative. so so tell us about from say 18 when you had that epiphany give us a bit of an overview i know you could we could go into a lot of depth and i'll i'll sort of ask a couple of questions afterwards but give us a bit of a journey from there to doing what you're doing now matt um, you know, I, it's interesting, too, because when I was uh, going for the appointment to this position, I was appointed uh, the first time rather than elected. And people asked about this journey. I'm like, you know what? Nobody, nobody at 12 years old, I go, what do you want to be, kid? I want to be a county commissioner. <laughs> there, there's no real uh, path you're thinking about to get to that place. It is rather stumbling into a lot of things. And I was one of those kids who was uh, more aimless, purposeless, just kept not really figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. I graduated with a degree um, just in liberal arts of the psychology, but oddly enough, I knew I didn't want to go into the field of psychology with that degree, so it, uh, it left me kind of stumbling around. I did end up in the world of telecom um, quite, quite by accident because I was waiting tables and uh, uh, separated my shoulders snowboarding, so I couldn't wait tables. So I got a temp job at this company called MCI, which was a long distance competitor at the time, and uh, ended up being there for about six years. And that was one of those stumbles that, you know, in the corporate world in the 1990s, they um, were still doing lots of the um, sort of basic leadership development, I think that we'd call it today. Start off with time management, you know, and your Covey planner. Uh, and then you go to, you know, little couple hour, half day courses they send you to about, uh, about being part of a team or managing up and, you know, understanding your own leadership, your own values, goals and vision for yourself. Uh, so it was more that, that small bit corporate stuff. Um, and then when I finally left the, the telecom world, um, here we had kind of a telecom bubble and uh, I got laid off with a small severance and decided that was the end of the corporate world for me. And I uh, ended up coming to the mountains and did some more stumbling around until I landed at a um, nonprofit leadership organization, a very small one. And, uh, you know, was exposed to those same leadership principles that I had in the corporate world, but from a very different lens. Instead of, you know, the, the corporate world doing this is, is developing its people essentially so it can have a valuable workforce. Uh, really, it's ultimately for the value of the corporation. So the lens is, is different in subtle but really very important ways. When I got into this nonprofit leadership, it was much more about personal growth and, and opportunity and seeing, uh, you know, your own full potential and importantly, your value to uh, greater things, you know, beyond corporations, communities, civilization, um, and finding real purpose in that. Uh, so that really kind of tweaked what I had already been given in a different lens and 
and um, you know, having been up here in this community, I started really getting just into my own community, being in a, in a much smaller community than when I was in uh, in Denver, big city. Well, not a huge city, but you know, much bigger city than here. Um, it, it is hard to harder, I think, to have a sense of connection and purpose to community than it is up here. Yeah, and that's, uh, it's interesting you mentioned the difference between uh, nonprofit. What, what um, you mentioned the difference in leadership development, and I guess the why behind it, which is really interesting. What have you found yeah. the biggest differences in, in leadership? Like, are there any, are there different challenges or are some of the challenges of leading people in corporate versus in, um, in nonprofit? Are they very similar or did you find them very different? Well, I think where I was corporate in the time, and this was the, the 90s, which was really hot and heavy into this kind of new neoliberal economic idea of, um, you know, greed is good, uh, you know, all things in the marketplace. If the marketplace is doing it, then it's an unalloyed good. And if the government is doing it, it's an unalloyed evil. Um, it, that was just sort of the, the nature of the time. So I wouldn't say that the nature of corporations or big companies is this way, but I think at the time it was that it was, uh, um, you know, to, to go make a bunch of money and serve the corporation. And I think the greatest distinction beyond that, I, I was not fulfilled and I ended up because having survived way too many um, <laughs> reduction in forces and layoffs where they give a pretty decent severance package, I'm like, take me. Uh, I eventually gave up and just quit um, because I just it wasn't floating my boat. And coming then to to see that leadership stuff through more of a community lens, I discovered I, the the shorthand way to say it, which I'm sure you're familiar with, is servant leadership. Um, this idea that if you're doing doing something uh, purposeful in service of others is ultimately much more rewarding. And I don't know that's always the case, but it certainly turned out to be true for me. It just, uh, you know, the corporate world was just um, soul sucking. You just couldn't, like, there was no purpose within that that ever felt really rewarding. And, and again, I don't know what it has to be. I think that was just sort of the nature of the times. Yeah, and, and it's also a, probably a reflection on you and your, I think, people, uh, you know, people are different. Everyone... I think purpose is good for everyone. Like everyone needs a purpose, but some people in how they're wired and their values and even personality can experience work um, where and is to be a part of something that's more bottom line. And sure, if the organization mm -hmm. can give them way more deeper purpose than that, it's, it's even better, but for them, that's fine. And then there are others, which I, I'm, you know, it sounds like from your story where you go, actually, I, I just, it's really important for me to be part of something where I feel like it's not just, um, you know, it, it has to be making a difference at, at a deeper level. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I think that's good to acknowledge. And I think people, there'll be people listening. It is good to admit that, you know, and acknowledge that people are different and to go, well, if that's you and you're in an industry or in an organization, not getting that you can probably try is to improve everything, but making a move like you made, Matt, is probably going to be necessary at some point for that person. Just 
not going to find the fulfillment in, um, and like you said, it is different now to then to what it was then, but some people need to go and find a place where they can work and know it's making a, a difference to people. It's a fact about how some people are wired. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I suspect there is a, a greater human desire for sort of a real fulfilling purpose rather than mere bottom line. I don't know that at all. Um, and, and I'm certainly seeing that through my own bias. Um, but you know, in those, those times too, I think there, there was this, uh, you know, good times of, uh, you know, lots of money. It's, you know, cocaine can feel pretty good for a long time too. Uh, and, and I think some people can be convinced that that is, uh, for them purpose for work. And it's not to say it can't be, but I think for a lot of people, they are convinced or allow themselves to be convinced that something else really is purposeful that may not actually be fulfilling for themselves. And uh, in our culture in America, which I think was not just America too, I think it was largely, um, well, the world in general, but certainly the Western world, um, that idea of neoliberalism of, of that you simply let markets do what they want and all good will flow from there. But, um, and, and it was a, a decent, experiment. And I think uh, th my own opinion is that we're coming to, to the this side of it, having done this experiment for 50 years, and especially seeing young, younger generations coming up, we're just not seeing that sort of bottom line uh, value resonate with kids, which I think is a great thing. But they're looking for something um, uh, something more than just a bottom line. Yeah, I think so. I think anecdotally and, and the research seems to show part of the great resignation is, you know, for anyone in any leadership position where you're hiring people and tap into purpose, if you can tap into that sense where you're part of a team that's achieving something, which takes time to build, I feel like that yeah. is a game changer and a massive point of difference now more than ever before, because people are going, you know what, this, this doesn't cut it anymore. I was happy here, but now I'm really, I've had time to reflect and I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to do something that has more meaning. And so yeah. I think that's when, when, uh, when I talk to leaders, this is challenges, you know, even chatting with someone yesterday about, finding and keeping great people it just comes up again and again and i think it's always a challenge but right now and i think that one of the biggest things um you know i was i was working with someone recently and helping them with their job ads i'm a big believer in saying you know what we have to like we you're gonna have to change how we how we do things and helping a lot of organizations go you need to be hiring people in a way that people will 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 move cities like that should be the filter is this that is this a job and am i am i positioning it am i setting it up am i communicating around the vision of what we do and why we do it the values of who we are in such a way that someone would move cities because that uh, and i feel like if the answer is yes if you can do that then you'll find and keep great people but if you're yeah. a lot of job ads fall way below that um you know, that filter, when you look at it, you go, no, I want to drive half an hour to this job. I, w I don't want to commute more than half an hour. And it's like, well, 
how do we reframe it? How do we change the role even? What do we need to do so that someone would go, oh, wow, I would move cities to be in that role? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's great what you're doing here too, Jono, because I, I think about things like the, uh, because I, uh, despite what I, you know, I sound cynical about uh, kind of our, our economic system, I still believe in uh, capital markets are the greatest force that humanity has ever created. It's just how do you apply those forces? And so all of these, you know, globe corporations and things, um, I think the best thing that could happen is not that, you know, say people at the top, like have some epiphany and say, no, this is soul sucking. I'm going to go, you know, raise potatoes in Idaho or something. The best thing that happens is they stay where they are and say, we can do this differently. Like we can still make money, but we can do this with purpose that serves, uh, you know, that serves our stakeholders, our community. Um, Cause it's, it's not that structurally different. It's just objectively different. Yeah, it's it's really more than anything. It's a mindset shift, isn't it? And um, one effect is at some point the rubber hits the road and you have to make a, a decision, which I think, you know, people watch um, organizations and go, well, I don't know how well organizations have historically their values organizationally. I think of Johnson and, and the... Um, famous yeah. uh, story from 20 or 30 years ago how there was a there was a poisoning of one of one of their one of their products and uh, you know someone sort of illegally uh, did something and it was only in a small group to say you know what because our like the core of who we are as Johnson and Johnson is about people's well-being we're going to take the hit even though it wasn't our fault even though someone like what one person has been completely like you know um, done. We're actually going to take that whole line off the shelves and wear the cost, because more than anything else, we we need our people, our customers, to know that we will always put their health. But story, because it's easy to go, yeah, of course you do that, but I'm expensive. Um, when when they when they did that, and there's lots online if people want to look it up. It's a really famous sort of story. But when they- mm-hmm expensive it was it came at a massive cost but it communicated to everyone and i mean i'm talking about it now um decades later it communicated that what mattered more than profit was people's well-being and 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 health of their customers and that's a message that Mm -hmm. customers buy into but also they're like that's a place you want to you want to work if you're an employee of of a place like that you go okay they so there is always a rubber hitting the road sort of moment where you have to make that call. But I like what you said. It's, it starts with a change in mindset from leadership. It doesn't have to be a change, a massive change in strategy today. It's a change yeah. in mindset. And it's amazing what that little shift and the, and the change in the why as well, or even articulating the why at a board level and at an executive team level can change um, even big organizations. Yeah. And, and of course that's not the end of that J and J story either that, you know, Part of it is what the the very difficult to quantify effects of that was they really had a, a huge and a fairly long lasting boost in market recognition and trust. So it it probably had some sort of long term bottom line effect that was hard to quantify, but everybody's fairly confident that it had that. And then 
to say that's still not the end of the story. Of course, later on, they had scandals um, that was essentially, you know, the assessment is that they're driven by different motivations because of the way uh, our capital markets and work with investing. They, they become more beholden to quarterly earnings reports, in which case, you know, what gets measured gets done. And they didn't change their explicit values the ones that they, they write down and talk about, what they changed is what they did that did not comport with their values. You know, what you first talked about very much aligned with who they said they were. Yes. And then they didn't. And so it's these decisions from, you know, people that are listening to you, mm. that was, we're talking this great resignation is, uh, you know, there are so many people who have power in these boardrooms and, and, uh, and places that are simply going to have to stand up to the financing structures and um, the economic rules that we have set for ourselves. And they're gonna be the ones that have the power to, to really drive change. So those are the people we truly are going to need are the ones who already have you know, hands on the levers of power and are going to start saying, you know, I, I can't respond the way you want me to respond for the strict bottom line, we have to find a new way to do this. Yeah, and that was, so you know, the BlackRock uh, statement that uh, mm. it, it, that we no longer think it's true that the, the primary purpose of business is to um, uh, enrich our shareholders. Mm. There's at least that sentiment out there. Yeah, it's two parts, isn't it? It's the sentiment, which, like you said, Johnson and Johnson, the the sentiment written as their values, and this actually drives me. Um, uh, crazy. It's a bit of a soapbox, you know, for me that I find um, this idea of values when organizations have something up on the wall or even, you know, spend days, months coming up with this perfect list, but then you look at how they act and it's completely did this 10 years ago and they're so proud of what they've put there. But if you ask anyone who's ever been involved with them, it's, it's not true. And, and I think yeah. that's the, it's like, equal part articulating those things and then actually living them out. If you miss one, if you just try to live it out, live it out without articulating it, I think that's unhelpful because you're not clear yeah. hard to communicate that. But if you, if you articulate it really well and don't live it out in some ways, that's even worse because then not only living by your values, but you're hypocritical and, and it's unfair and hypocritical as human beings. We don't necessarily love to be involved with. Yeah. Yeah, authenticity is is uh, <laughs> easy to spot. Let's jump back into your story. I, I'm interested to know across your career so far, Matt, any aha moments you've had where uh, you know either you made a mistake and you'll never forget a lesson you learned, or you watched a leader closely do something and, and manage a situation well or really poorly that you'll never forget. Um, or you just, someone gave you a piece of advice and it really has proven to be true. Like any, any sort of aha moments in your career that, that pop in your mind? Um, I, I have so many relatively small ones that, you know, so many of them aren't small and I was running a, um, a relatively small nonprofit with, I think we had like $25,000 in the bank at the time. I made a $10,000 spreadsheet mistake. And of course those mistakes never go the right way. <laughs> So 
I'm like, uh oh. Uh, so that was kind of a lesson for me of trying to be the um, all things to all people uh, leader, I guess you say, as the executive director of an organization. Um, and, you know, you've got a, a small volunteer board and uh, you're the paid staff. Uh, I should have been leaning harder on those who, you know, were the financial piece of the organization for the, to say, double check all my math, make sure I'm doing this right. When it's that small of an organization, you know, you can't afford accountants to look over stuff. Um, but it was um, sort of that, that uh, moment of um, humility where you're thinking, you know, I, I got this and you just ultimately you have to do it with other people. If it, if it's not done with other people, it's, it's going to be short lived or done, done poorly. Um, especially What's in the nonprofit world where you're serving a purpose. Yeah. For leaders who are listening, uh, who haven't necessarily been through something like that, where you are in a, you know, inevitably we'll all make mistakes. So what did you to do when you make a mistake like that? Is there anything that you would have done differently in how you responded to that? Or is there any, any advice you'd give people when you realize as a leader, oh, wow, okay, I've dropped the ball here. What, what, how, what's the best way to go about moving forward from there? Well, I, th I think I did uh, respond appropriately. As soon as I found out, I went to my board chair <laughs> just with my tail between my legs and like, I know this is, I've made a huge error here. And she was much more understanding uh, mistake. I think, uh, you know, having the same kind of realization is like, you know, we shouldn't have you doing all this on your own. Um, when you're talking about numbers, you should always have two eyes. And that's, um, was both my responsibility for not having asked and the board's responsibility for not having insisted that they be second set of eyes. Um, so that was, you know, it was a difficult time, but I mean, the, the bigger lesson I had gotten out of the moment was um, there are rarely mistakes too huge that aren't worth just coming clean and learning fast. Um, mm. it, you know, it, it was not the end of the world. We figured it out, world kept spinning, the organization, you know, in the front of the house, people would have never known. We just had to do a whole lot of back, back end work. So, you know, the, the lesson to me that the bigger one was, um, you know, don't try to do all this stuff on your own. <clears throat> uh, and at the same time, don't be so cautious that you're just doing it out of a fear of making mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're, you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. Yeah, I love that. I love how you articulated that because it's that tension. Um, it's what it's one of the biggest things that that I hear in this podcast. It's this really strange tension, and it's strange because either one is probably more natural for some people. Uh, and what I mean by that is either humility and um, fessing up and saying I don't know and saying sorry. Okay, some people really naturally, for lots of different reasons, family of origin, 
they might nail that. Like, oh, sure, I'm great at apologizing quickly. I'm great at, at walking in that humility. Other people have, once again, family of origin, personality. They're so confident. Hey, you know what? If we fail, that's okay. We'll just keep going. Those two need to coexist. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges as a leader is you, you need to have that, have that um, humility and that confidence and that courage to step out knowing you'll fail, knowing that you will fail from time to time. But th that takes a confidence as well. And, and so it, it's, this, it's this real tension, which I hear leaders talk about on this podcast of going, how do you really be bold and courageous as a leader and walk in humility where you're quick to learn and shoot and a teachable heart. And like you mentioned as well, have make sure you're doing doing the work, whatever it is, with great people around you rather than isolating yourself. Yeah. So if you talk to anybody who's who's figured that out, can you tell me <laughs> how it's done? Well, nailed it. <laughs> no, not really. It's <laughs> I think I think it's one of the ongoing tensions. Really reminds me, I, I talk a lot about Kim Scott's book. Um, Radical Candor. I don't know if you've come across that, but it's a, it's a great book about uh, really Kim's big point in the book is that a, a great leader is someone who is high on care and high on challenge. So we want, we want someone leading us like a great parent who cares so deeply about us and who will challenge us more than anyone have the courage to tell us when we've got something stuck in our teeth, you know, when we're going the wrong direction, it's that combination. I feel like it's a similar thing. And so, no, I, I who's, uh, who's nailed that perfectly, Matt, I'll let you know if I do. <laughs> yeah, it is that, that, uh, I tend to have this management style. That's probably more out of, out of, uh, laziness and management is I don't like to, uh, to manage people to a great degree. So my, uh, I decided it's my philosophy because it's just what I do anyway, is <laughs> you try to hire, the best people you can possibly hire um, and manage by objective and uh, just, you know, here's, here's what you go do and just go figure it out. Like, you, um, yeah, I don't want to tell people how to do things. Um, but if you're going to do that, you have to make sure you hire, hire very good people as well. Um, but it also means you're, you tend to be surrounded by better people too. And you have a lot to learn from them also. I think part of the challenge I have and just what you're talking about is making sure they understand that care message. Cause when you do have sort of a hands-off management approach, um, the, the, the care message can get lost if you're not um, really intentional about it to make sure they understand. I'm not just like throwing you to the wolves. I have complete confidence in you to go out there and do this job. Even if you make mistakes, I'll be behind you. Um, and I think that's where I, um, I always find myself needing to do more work is making sure that they understand that care part of, of mm. that equation. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, in I agree. Uh, it's probably one of the, it's probably almost the most important thing. If, um, if, a leader was to ask me what's like if you had to pick one thing above any other it's a it's about who you put on your team and if you can find a, and have a really thorough process to to find and uh you know great great people then a hundred times easier right i think the challenge yeah. is that's um that say you're a transformational leader or say you know as a lot of people listening they might might not have had a chance yet to see your role where you have all that 
take this opportunity. opportunity. Say a, a leader is in their early 30s and someone says, hey, we've got this opportunity over here, but they're coming in to a toxic environment. They're coming into an existing team with high levels of dysfunction. Then I feel I feel like it's so unfair because that that opportunity which for a lot of people that's the first sort of opportunity that gets thrown your way um yeah you can't really fix it with hiring at that point you you have to uh, like you, you need to do that but right now like today how do you handle dealing with toxic you know issues you have to work out how closely to manage people so i i think i agree with that and the only thing that i found that i struggle with is if i ever am put into an environment then a lot of my philosophies get challenged because you you sort of um, <laughs> you you sort of almost need to prioritize some other things initially. Eventually, you, that will be top priority is who you hire long long term. But right now, it's it's like a different skill set almost. And and I wonder if some leaders are more like if some leaders are really gifted in that fast moving fast paced transformational space where they go in and transform in a year because they they are able to to sort of well you see a coach of a team who takes a dysfunctional team and comes in and is able to somehow make this thing well in sport turn around with the same people and, and go to another yeah. level it's it seems yeah, like a really it's like a gift isn't it it's like a different type of leader who can do that I think, yeah, you're, you're right. And I, as you say that too, I know that I'm lazy in those things. And I know in my life, I have tried to avoid those situations probably because I'm just not very good at it. <clears throat> it's not, um, well, who knows if I'm good at it. I just don't like those situations where I'm like trying to, to handle a lot of the, the human pieces of it. That is, that is the most difficult politics in my mind is, is that whole coordination of teams of people um when you don't get to build the team and i i have little experience with it because um i don't care much for it <laughs> <laughs> i don't blame you it's I... hard work and the people that can do it are are heroes in my mind oh yeah and, and some people as well i'll be coaching them and the revelation that they have is oh i hate being in a a high momentum humming team and organization for too long what they are being made for is to go into something that's not working and turn like it's a turnaround they're they're turnaround leaders who come in turn something around and then sure they get it up to the point where it's humming but then for them they they really need to go and find something else that needs to be turned around and i always look at them going yeah because i'm more like you i'm like that sounds horrible that you're just constantly but of leaders um and they are incredible i definitely find when i'm sitting down with a leader like of often their resilience you know they'll often talk about what happens yeah this happened and i had this bunch of you know people or stakeholders that were really you know going for me to to um to get rid of me and you're just like you i feel like you've described like what would be 10 years of normal turbulence in my life how we're able to just handle that yeah. Yeah. And I think I have a, a, a similar uh, predilection that uh, I very much like um, kind of startup or creation phase. I like to, to do the creative working with people, like creating the teams and, and getting something moving. And I did, I have discovered through a number of 
uh, you know, pieces of my history that once you have that thing humming, uh, where it's really, you know, you're, um, you're just managing the machine, um, that's when I get bored. And so that's why this has turned out to be, without even knowing it, probably the world's most perfect job for me, because um, as an elected official, and, and where I am as a county commissioner, you know, town councils um, and other boards, they're, they're really kind of hobby positions. They, they get a little stipend usually, but it's not well paid. You're still having to balance uh, life and work if you're serving small town governments. Here, a county commissioner is essentially, uh, at least at our county level, is a full-time job and compensated that way. And every day is a very different challenge. Um, so it, it serves me well. I'd, <clears throat> I've never worked anywhere longer than six years in my life because I get to those places where I, you know, kind of get the hang of it and then I get bored. And, and I think those folks who can do the turnaround may have a similar kind of yeah. uh, jam, but what they're doing, I think, is is a much more sophisticated and complex thing that I don't know if I'd be good at. I just know that I'm not crazy about doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I like the create, creating, not the fixing. <laughs> well, I think um, we need more um, assessments and and things to help leaders. Uh, you know, maybe work out some of. I love pioneering things and starting things when I was 20. I just would have approached the world very differently, but I didn't know that. It was only through life and right. and, re and then reflecting and going, wait a second, I, you know, maybe it's not normal to start, uh, like I've mentioned here before, I have three podcasts and it's like, now I know that's, I love, you know, um, coming up with new, so I have this podcast and I have, the John O'White leadership podcast and leadership question of the day. It's not because I get distracted. It's because I love pioneering sort of new things. And uh, now that I know that and, I, and I'm aware, I need to be careful that I don't have 10 podcasts. Um, but yeah, there was a way to really know that about yourself when you're younger. I'm not sure that's possible though. Yeah. I think I remember that uh, Seinfeld episode where George Costanza said, life is backwards. <laughs> You're born, they give you a gold watch. You don't know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love Seinfeld. Uh, so good. So so many great leadership um, scenes <laughs> in, in Seinfeld. Uh, well, as we wrap up, let's jump into Leadership Express. A book that you've gifted to other people or recommended a lot to other people. Um, you know, I, I go in waves. I've discovered that, uh, you know, uh, climate and sustainability have been kind of my um, largest drivers from a policy perspective. I think kind of everything relates to um, our ability to, to thrive on this planet. And so for quite a while, I thought it was about sustainability. And then I realized that uh, really the most fundamental thing is, is economics. The reason that we are in this pickle that we're in is because of the way we structured our economies. And if we're going to solve it and not just solve it, but really create a much more prosperous world anyway, then we need to change how we do economics. Um, <clears throat> and so I've uh, become much more uh, fascinated with economics as the, the foundational solution for everything. 
Uh, and so recently, <clears throat> and this may be more appropriate to the United States too, where we're running a, I don't know what we're at these days, $25 trillion debt and uh, still um, a fairly large deficit annually. But uh, this one book I've most recently been giving to people is The Deficit Myth. And it is one book that I think is um, begins to help people understand that the way we have been thinking about economics, that ever since the days of Reagan in trickle-down economics, where they managed to sell this narrative that this is how economies work. Let's start, you know, really with this realization, let's make our policies match how economies really function, which was all uh, baloney. It, Turns out it was really just a theory and we've tested it for 50 years and it was wrong. This idea of trickle down and similar ideas of structuring economies. And the deficit myth is, is a way to explain um, how, how fiat currency nations, those that print their own money, um, how the monetary system truly works and how that works within the economy. And so this book, The Deficit Myth, is a, a very easy way to understand that uh, conservatives in our country are always complaining about the deficit, you know, mm. going to drive up inflation. Right now is a bad time to be talking about this, but, you know, <laughs> we've been talking about it for decades and decades, and we've been building our deficit and building it and building it and building it. It doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal in this country. Every single president except for Clinton in one year has increased the deficit uh, or the debt, that is to say. Um, and we never experienced inflation. We kept our inflation at two and a half percent all of those decades. And uh, so this is a way to explain why we didn't uh, cause inflation by creating a large debt. Um, and along those lines, how all this really works. So, um, to me, it's, it's a beginning of a new narrative to how we can structure economies for a prosperous world. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, so next question, what is a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? Um, oh, that's a good one. It was the kind of thing if I were a really good leader, I'd have all these things and like, oh yeah, <laughs> remembering these things. Um, you know, there's one, I, I try to read seven habits of highly effective people every several, two or three years. Um, so that's one I think is, is just always a good refresher of basic, you know, how to live a life, um, uh, for opportunity and responsibility to others. Mm, mm. Um, but, uh, the one I think I will always be learning and, and never have learned enough is listen more than you talk. <laughs> yeah and, uh, my, my wife is my best coach <laughs> yeah. or critic i suppose yeah that's right critic coach to remind me <laughs> oh that's fantastic no it's so true and that's probably the thing that comes up the most when i chat with leaders and ask them questions like that is the power of listening i think the ultimate super able to help people feel heard that's mm -hmm. like, I, I struggle to think of another skill that's as powerful as that. Because even, even if you're a great communicator is like, if someone doesn't feel heard by you first, then they won't necessarily accept what you're saying. So I think yeah, thing is 
is right up there as probably one of, if not talked about practice that leaders talk about on here. So I love that you brought it up. Yeah, it is. And I think part of the reason why is I think what you're getting at is to me, the most, what I have learned uh, so far in life, maybe I'll learn something else later, but that I believe the most important thing in life is relationships. Um, and that's what really listening is, is to get you, especially if you're a guy, like I, I think this is, you know, a total male tendency to ask most wives is that we're trying to solve problems. Like, I don't want to solve a problem. So as soon as I hear my wife complain about something, then I'm like, oh, here's what you got to do. She's like, <laughs> would you just listen? And it just constantly reminds me every time I screw it up that she she wants uh, someone to understand what she's feeling. She just wants that relationship. And, you know, potentially you can solve the problem, but the listening is about having that relationship. And whether it's somebody you do already have a good relationship, like hopefully a spouse, or if it's, say, a, a, a political or conversational uh, adversary, if they won't accept you and a relationship as a person, well, you could be arguing about something and all they're ever going to do is fight you, no matter who's right. And so it's, it's that first step to really creating a relationship. Absolutely. Okay, last question, Matt. If you could only... Young leader. Um, and I think it's that is... Um, think about relationships because the servant leadership, I think, helps us understand that too, is really finding great uh, purpose and, and fulfillment in life ultimately comes from what you can do for other people. And even when we say, you know, you have to, to work on yourself, uh, whether it's confidence, whether it's skills, um, that is developing your ability to be a human in the world with other people. Um, it's, it's how we relate to other people. It matters for everything. If you want to get just about anything done, you're probably going to need other people. Um, so I think mm. it's that, that focus on, on relationships, even when you are working on yourself, which you should be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I don't know, there's this, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, we do not see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. And uh, ultimately, it's that reflection of yourself and other people. It's um, understanding your vision of the world. Uh, and, and that is directly related to how, how you relate to, to, to other people, what they can do for you, what you can do for them. Great quote. Um, thank you for sharing that. So for people who've really enjoyed today, and also with uh, find out more about the county. Uh, you know, Google probably will tell you more about me than I wish uh, anybody would ever know, unfortunately, these days. But uh, um, uh, I can be reached on email at matt.sher, M-A-T-T -T dot S-C-H-E-R-R, -R, at 
eaglecounty.us. Uh, eaglecounty.us is our uh, government website. It's currently uh, a uh, not a good website. We're about to release a new one, but um, that'll get you to the right place now or in the future. Wonderful. Thanks for tuning in. About so many different aspects of leadership with Matt. Uh, listeners, don't forget, as I mentioned in this episode, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership to other places you can go to continue to invest in your leadership. But I want to thank you to you, Matt, for being so generous with your time and uh, sharing wonderful stories from from your wisdom and uh, for being such. I appreciate the opportunity, Jono, and thank you for what you're doing. And uh, that's another piece of advice of, is conversations like this are always super rewarding. So if uh, uh, that people are listening to this, hopefully they'll go out and have them more with uh, people they know as well. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders and you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much 
that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, Jono White or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.